Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as always, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. So since we've no place to go, well, you know. Uh, somehow I, you know, he never tells me what the quote is before we start. And I had a feeling, I actually predicted this one in my head. But I didn't that there was going to be that particular song? Yeah. Well done. Well, before we talk about what our topic is, I have... Uh, a Jeopardy challenge for you. Okay. All right. You ready now? Here is your answer. This popular, massively multiplayer online role-playing game was featured in a question on Jeopardy's College Week in 2005. What is World of Warcraft? You didn't buzz in, so I'm sorry. <laughs> I knew it. We're taking all of your uh, money, and we're going to break your legs. This is this is how he plays the predictions game, too. That is Yes, I will change the rules so that I win no matter what. Yes. No, that is correct. We are going to talk today not about World of Warcraft specifically, although that will definitely be a large part of the conversation, but about Blizzard. 
Blizzard Entertainment, or Activision Blizzard, the company behind such big hits as World of Warcraft, Warcraft, Starcraft, and Diablo. Actually, I thought we were going to talk about Silicon and Synapse. That is, in fact, where we start. Our story officially begins at UCLA in around 1990. Yeah, that's the University of California at Los Angeles. Thank you. For those of you not in the know. So they were at UCLA. And at UCLA, there was a student, a computer science student named Alan Adam, who uh, met a fellow. He actually, according to him, his official story about how he met uh, uh, Mike Morheim was that Alan was sitting in the computer lab and was typing away, tappy, tappy, tappy. And then decided that he needed to get up and get himself a hot beverage and maybe a quick trip to the gents. So he locks himself out of his computer and leaves. And he comes back and he turns on his computer again and gets it ready and types in his password and it launches. Meanwhile, Michael Morheim says, hey there, big guy. I have a question for you. How did you make it so that your computer unlocked automatically while you were away? I had to lock it again for you. And then in the process of their conversation, they find out uh, the most unlikely of coincidences that Adam and Mike both were using the same password for their computers. Really? That is their, that is, that's the way, uh, Alan tells the story. Mike tells a different story. Mike's story is that he saw this fellow who was in his, uh, his, a couple of his computer science classes, and this is their senior year at UCLA, and uh, he sees this guy and he thinks, this fellow looks like he's from Israel, and he looks really smart. So he walks up to him and says, what part of Israel are you from? And Alan says, I'm from Egypt. Those are the two stories that they tell. Yeah, there's an official like Blizzard retrospective video, which is actually pretty cool. I really recommend you watch it if you if you're into like just want to know more about the history of the company. Um, the reason why that video was posted was because this year, 2011, when we're recording this podcast, is the 20th anniversary of that of the founding of the company. Because in 1991, once uh, Alan graduated. He decided he wanted to make video games. Actually, he knew he wanted to make video games even before he had graduated college. And so he wanted to create a company. And he called upon uh, Mike Morheim uh, to join him. And uh, Mike was working at uh, uh, Western Digital at the time. Mm-hmm. And he left the company because Mike had graduated about three months before Alan did. Uh, but he left Western Digital to come and work with Alan at this new company, which probably upset Mike's family a bit because there you were working for a uh, an established, an established company, company yeah. with a with an actual like revenue generating uh, plan and everything revenue from revenue and then striking out to form this this games company uh, it was probably a nerve wracking experience uh, he also called upon a second friend Alan had met another person in the computer science department named Frank Pierce. Yes. And uh, he called upon Frank Pierce as well and said, hey, I'm starting up this video game company. Would you like to join me? Now, Frank had also gone to UCLA and uh, was uh, did not know Mike. So Frank and Mike didn't know each other. The the, the connecting element here is Alan. Yes. Uh, but Frank decides to come over and he actually left another uh, established company called Rockwell. Yes. He left Rockwell to go and join this new company, which as – uh, Chris has revealed was called Silicon and Synapse. Wow, what a 
catchy name. Yeah, uh, they the reasons behind that name. Well, first of all, silicon, of course, is the basis for a lot of our electronics. That's the the silicon chip. It's the whole the whole foundation for the modern transistor. Uh, that was that where that's where the whole silicon part came from. Synapse, of course, meaning that the connections in your brain, the stuff that fires off so that you mm-hmm. can complete thought. So to them, they thought this is a great idea. But according to their video, other people just didn't get it. Mm-hmm. First of all, they thought that silicon was the material that went into breast augmentation surgery. That would be silicone. That would be silicone. But other people were like, why are you calling your company after boobies? <laughs> and they said, we're not calling our company after boobies. We are calling our company. But, it, you know, you tell that story. And then the other response they get is, what's a synapse? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I kind of like the name Silicon and Synapse because, for one thing, it reminds me of other uh, companies or other products that have blank and blank. For example, Dungeons and Dragons. And these guys clearly had at least some love for the old Dungeons and Dragons role-playing system because a lot of the stuff they worked on had that kind of flair to it. So the first few years, they're working under the title of Silicon and Synapse. The company name is Silicon and Synapse. And they uh, had done work previously uh, in their college years with companies like Interplay. Do you know what kind of games Interplay made off the top of your head? Um, well, I do remember some Interplay titles. Yeah. Um, and uh, But I don't remember any of them off the top of my head. Some big names include like Baldur's Gate. And Descent. And uh, the, the original Fallout games were Interplay games. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then they also had done some work for Datasoft, which is another uh, game company. Uh, they did things like Zaxxon and Pole Position and Time and Magic. So um, the following statement is a joke. So then all of a sudden, Silicon and Synapse made World of Warcraft and lots of money, right? <laughs> no. Uh, first, The first thing they started to do is they started working on ports from uh, certain platforms into other platforms. So right. so when a game is made for a particular platform, say the PC or, or Windows, let's say, yeah. and you wanted to write a version of it for the Macintosh, you would port the game over, the original code over, to work on a different type of computer is what yeah. you're saying. which could take quite a bit of time mm-hmm. uh, because, as we know, these different operating systems – uh, don't necessarily support the same kind of models. So you would have to go in and, and re... Like, you've built all the, the resources in your code, but now you've got to repurpose it for different types of code. Mm-hmm. And uh, they started porting Amiga and Mac titles, strangely enough. Mm-hmm. One of their first ports was for a game that I loved back in the early 90s called Battle Chess. Yes. Mm-hmm. So Battle Chess, in case you have never seen it, was a game of chess. It was, you know, played out on a chessboard. But the the uh, the the figures that you're moving, the chess pieces you're moving around, are actually 3D modeled, or well, I guess they were originally 2D rendered, um, uh, uh, cartoonish figures. Mm-hmm. So your pawns look like little foot soldiers. Uh, the queen is this slinky, uh, uh, deadly woman who who dispatches her enemies in creative ways, and there were different animations when you would take a piece. So let's say, you know, pawn takes pawn. It would play out as a little battle on your screen uh, for that square. Now, the way battle chess worked was that you would, if you made the move to take a square, 
that was the piece that was going to win every time. It wasn't mm-hmm. like it had el- inserted some sort of element of chance where you would try and take a square and your piece would end up getting defeated. That didn't happen. But the animations were very cute. And so that was one of the first ports they began to work on. Um, they also, uh, and they, they ported that over to, for Windows in the Commodore 64, actually, mm-hmm. even that late in the game, so to speak. And then the first, do you know what the first game they developed was? The first, the first game they developed by as, themselves. As, yeah, yeah. It wasn't a port. It was a game that they created from the ground up. It was, it was called RPM Racing. Ah, okay. All right. I thought you were going to mention the death and return of Superman before you got to that point. Oh no, I don't know this. Why don't you talk about that? Well, I, I don't know a ton of, uh, you know, a ton of information about that specific uh, game, but uh, uh, <laughs> one of the uh, the. Uh, articles I used as a reference mentioned Battle Chess 2 and, and the death and return of Superman, which was released in 1994 as an example of a port that they had done. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were sort of cruising along before they got to, to the point where they were developing their own titles. Well, they, they did develop a couple of titles before that, but it was for the SNES, mm-hmm. Super Nintendo Entertainment System, or the Super Famicom, if you prefer. Um, because the, the first one they did with that was in 92 for RPM Racing. And then in 93, they released one called Rock and Roll Racing, which was one of the first, uh, games for the Nintendo to feature, the Super Nintendo to feature rock and roll music. But that was like, again, that was for the Super NES. That wasn't a PC game or, or Mac game, whatever. It's not a computer game. It was a console game. So they've done a few console games, uh, just a few. They're more known for, at least, Today, they're more known for their, their computer titles rather than their console titles. Uh, but th- this was kind of where they started to develop their art style. And they hired a few uh, artists and uh, had some great stories in that video I was talking about, about the, the weird interview process. And they were playing it really fast and loose because these were all guys who were fresh out of college and had never really done this before. So they had a kind of... Um, uh, relaxed way of going about business. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it ended up really working for them. And the titles that they developed ended up winning awards for uh, RPM Racing, I think, or maybe it was Rock and Roll Racing, won uh, the title of the best racing game of the year that it came out. And uh, and, and so they were doing well, uh, but they still hadn't moved on to doing uh, computer games. They also developed a game for the uh, Super Nintendo Entertainment System called The Lost Vikings. Mm, yes. Which ended up being very popular. It was originally so the the original idea was that it was going to be kind of like Lemmings. Mm-hmm. And if you don't if you're not familiar with the game Lemmings, in Lemmings you your task is to guide a group of little lemmings from one side of a screen to another side of the screen and uh and you assign specific tasks to particular lemmings to try and create a pathway for the lemmings to get there safely and the lemmings will just walk in a in a in a direction until they encounter an obstacle or they die and of course some of them are doomed in other in order to make the the rest of the herd survive survive yeah you might have to explode one on purpose oh no so yeah, no. Now Blizzard did not make Lemmings, but no, they no, thought no. that the Lemmings game was really interesting. And so originally, the Lost Vikings was going to be a game where you would have, you know, around a hundred different kinds of Vikings that could do different tasks. But through the development process, they decided to narrow that down, and then they got down to five Vikings. And then by the time they actually got to the point where they were putting the game together, they decided on three Vikings. And using these three Vikings, you would go through a series of puzzles. So it ultimately was a puzzle game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, again, was very popular. It won a, uh, an award for the best puzzle game that year. And then 
In 93, uh, uh, Silica and Synapse throws in the booby towel and decides to rename their company Chaos Studios. Yes. Which lasted for a few months, and then in 1994, they changed their name again to Blizzard Entertainment. Well, all this stuff, while it's not as glamorous as some of the stuff they've done in the last, say, 15 years, over those first three or four years, they really were making a name for themselves, and no pun intended with the name changes. multiple names for themselves. Um, Because uh, a company named Davidson & Associates acquired uh, the company in in 1994 also for $10 million. Yeah. Um, so, you know, just even as a, a, a fledgling company, uh, Chaos Studios was becoming known for its work and it was obvious that these, these guys knew what they were doing. Yeah. And actually that, that ended up getting really complicated too, because so Blizzard gets purchased by Davidson and Associates. Davidson and Associates gets purchased by a company called CUC International. CUC International then goes on to merge with a company called HFS Corporation, and the new parent company is called Sendent, C-E-N-D-E-N-T. Actually, and, uh, D-A-N-T. Oh, do you? Yeah. Oh, I have D-E-N-T. Interesting. Really? But anyway, it's uh, the that's the company that also owns Sierra Online. Mm-hmm. So now you've got uh, Sierra Online and Blizzard Entertainment are kind of mashed together as a division within this parent company called Sendent. And uh, uh, we'll get back to Sendent in a little bit, but we're still in 1994 right now. And that's also when demos begin to circulate in that summer for a new game called Warcraft, Orcs versus Humans. Yes. This is the game that really puts Blizzard on the map. I mean, Blizzard had already won awards for its Super Nintendo Entertainment System games, but these are the games that make it a a name in PC gaming and Mac gaming eventually. Yes, yes. As a matter of fact, well, of course, orcs uh, really sort of come from... um, Tolkien. Yeah, the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And... uh, and really, they, they're sort of borrowing that idea. Yeah. Um, now, this actually, in a way, goes uh, along with uh, the story of Nintendo, not directly. But um, one of the things that they were doing with this title was to basically leaven the computer game with story. Yeah. This, the, the, the story of the, the war between the orcs and the humans isn't just a computer game. It's also got a backstory. Yeah. About how the orcs are being used, uh, by another power. And that will eventually develop later in other titles. But, um, they had a, they had a, a new sort of game on their hands with the real time strategy game. Yeah. And, um, and let's, let's explain what a real time strategy game is just in case yeah. some of our listeners don't know. So, Typically, a real-time strategy game plays out in real time, so there it's not turn-based. So you don't you don't uh, make a move, then wait in order to make another move. Uh, everything's going on around the same time. Yeah, while you're preparing your armies to attack, your opponent is preparing his or her armies to attack at the same time. Right. So unlike games like Risk or Civilization, where it is turn-based, turn-based it's all going on uh, simultaneously. Then uh, the way you create your armies is you build uh, resource gathering uh, units. You build uh, special buildings that allow you to create uh, military units. And so you have to build buildings with various uh, types of, of characters that you have. So you might have some characters that are not warriors. Right. They're like farmers or, or woodcutters or whatever. They're, they They go out, they gather the resources you need. 
to build the other stuff you need. And the then small might, folk. Right. And then you might have to build something like a barracks, which will allow you to produce troops. Mm-hmm. And then there are certain specialized units that you can only produce if you build other buildings as well. So it becomes a balancing act of creating military units and also creating the resources you need to produce the units you need. Um, and, you know, all of this is coming from the same raw materials. So the strategy is um, is is multifaceted. You have the production strategy, like how many, how much effort do you put toward gathering resources? How much do you put toward producing basic units? How much do you put toward enhancing the buildings you already have? Uh, and then also, how do you explore and defeat your opponent? Now, in the original Warcraft game, you pretty much could see everything on the map. Uh, but, uh, um, the, the other, de- another development comes up a little bit later that changes that. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, it was top down. So you're looking, it's as if you were directly overhead of the map in the original Warcraft game. It was a, a top down view. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it actually, there was a game that came out before Warcraft. You're thinking probably of Westwood Studios Dune, Dune 2. Dune 2, yeah. Dune 2 was another real time strategy game that, that had, follows the same general philosophy as Warcraft, has a totally different feel to it. Than Warcraft, mm-hmm. but um, uh, it became like a, a kind of a battle between Blizzard and Westwood to see who was going to win out. But the art style of Warcraft, the uh, the the backstory to Warcraft, the whimsy really of Warcraft, all helped to really push that game ahead. I loved one of the things that I loved about that game, and and the games like it that followed is just and it's not even part of the game. It's continuing to click on people after you've because when you want to have a unit do something, say you want to uh, one of your uh, one of your units to go chop wood so that you have wood for your buildings, right? Uh, you click on it and you say, you know, okay, I want you, and then you click on the trees to go over here and cut, you know, cut down wood for lumber. And you know, when the uh, Blizzard had the idea to. Um, to basically give you a verbal acknowledgement. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> My lord. <laughs> and then you, but the thing is, somebody said, you know what? You need to keep clicking on the guy. So I said, all right. And I did. And I, and you, as, as you continue to click on that one unit, they become increasingly annoyed with you. Yeah. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> and uh, as far as I know, that continues. I don't have StarCraft too, but, <laughs> but in, even in the StarCraft uh, game, they would do that, and I. That's yeah. one of those things that I just love about it because it goes along with the game. Of course, you can waste time while the other guy is building up his army, but uh, it's just I thought it was a kick to do yeah. that. So we're still in 1994 right now. At this yep. point, Blizzard has about 25 employees. Uh, they've only been in business for three years. And they've got 25 employees. They they created a small booth at CES that year, and that's where they kind of showed off the idea of Warcraft. And, uh, and got a lot of attention there. And so it created a lot of buzz. Um, and then, of course, later in the year, Warcraft came out. It was a big hit. And then near the end of 1995, so just a year later, they released Warcraft 2 Tides of Darkness. And that's where they introduced the idea of a fog of war. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're not a gamer and you don't really know these terms, what fog of war means is that part of the map is intentionally obscured from your view as a player. And you only can uncover that part of the map <clears throat> Pardon me. Once you start sending units in to to explore it, yeah. Basically, I think of that as sort of a uh, a role playing game 
addition. Because if you think about your players as characters, uh, and yourself as a character in the game, as the, if you will, the general behind, yeah. behind your troops, you haven't been there yet. Your troops haven't been in this part of the forest yet, so they don't know what's there. Right. And, and because you don't have any eyes there, it's not like you can, you know, if you were on the ground, you would not be able to see that far. Like, so the idea is that the fog of war limits what you can see until you start sending units in to explore. So that gave the option of creating things like scouting units, things like that. Changes the strategy a lot. Uh, you couldn't just immediately glance at the map, see what your enemy was up to, and then adjust. You had to uh, anticipate what your enemy might do and try and, and head them off. Um, and, and also, Warcraft had already introduced this, the idea of being able to play against human opponents, not just the computer opponents, but human opponents, either over a modem or over a local area network. Mm-hmm. That I can't stress enough how important that was to the success of Warcraft because – Playing against the computer is fun. Yeah. Playing against your friends is a blast, right? I mean, it, you know, there's the whole element of smack talk. There's bragging rights. Uh, there are the great stories that you tell where, you know, it looked like all the way up until the last half hour of that game. It looked like you were going to lose, but you somehow turned it around just because this this crazy tactic that had just a sliver of a chance to work actually paid off. That kind of stuff is really invaluable for a game. I mean, it really pushed it. To, into a phenomenon, and Warcraft 2 continued that. Uh, and also, players were taking it upon themselves to find creative ways to create matches against each other online. This predates Blizzard's own online service. So what they were using was a service called uh, Kali, K-A-L-I. Mm-hmm. And they were creating matches over that. But that sort of served, you know, Blizzard took took notice of that. And they, it sort of served as a model for them. And they began to develop their own online service, which would become known as Battle.net mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. Battle.net, if you prefer. Um, just an interesting note. We were talking about the uh, serendipitous nature of the founders of Blizzard uh, meeting one another. Um, actually, uh, there's something else that's about to come up that has its roots back at a CES when they were, when the company was developing titles for the, the SNES, uh-huh. um, they had been asked by a company called Sunsoft to develop a uh, DC Comics fighting game mm-hmm. for the SNES. And they had a copy of it to show off at CES. Well, uh, as it turns out, a company called Condor, yeah. uh, Condor Software, um, had been asked to do the same thing for the Sega Genesis. And the two companies didn't know one another, but they, uh, the, the founders of the companies met at, at CES and they basically stayed in contact with one another. In yep. fact, from what I understand, um, Dave Brevik of Condor was given an opportunity to, uh, beta test, uh, Warcraft, the early version of Warcraft, because he liked what he saw and thought it was really cool. Um, so this game, this game company called Condor. Yes. Were they developing a game that would become a worldwide phenomenon? Do, 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 do. <laughs> they might have been. And, and did Blizzard, uh, get into the opportunity to actually acquire said company Condor? Well, as it turns out, the, uh, the Warcraft games were a hit. Yes. And, a massive hit. And they, uh, they brought a lot of money into, if you'll pardon my, uh, <laughs> Pardon my joke. Blizzard's War Chest. Ah, nice. <laughs> I didn't say Battle Chest. No. Actually, that's I, I picked up my first, uh, uh, just as an aside, I picked up my first Warcraft. I got the Battle Chest with yeah. Warcraft, Warcraft 2, and the uh, expansion. Backs, and I yeah. played the 
living daylights out of those three. It's a great game. Um, great series of games. Um, but anyhow, yes, they, uh, with, with that money, they contacted Condor and said, Hey, you know, we're friends. Why don't we work together? Work together. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, Blizzard acquired Condor and, uh, Which they became Blizzard North. Right. They renamed it Blizzard North. It was located in San Mateo, California. And, uh, and Condor was working on a game that would become insanely popular. So much so that there, that right now, as we record this podcast, there are people begging to get into the beta of the most current version of that game. Yes. And that game was a dungeon crawler and a mouse killer. Yes. As a matter of fact, uh, it, from, from what I understand, people credit this game with, with launching the dungeon crawler. Yeah. And also launching Battle.net. Uh, it is, of course, Diablo, a game where you created a, a uh, fantasy-inspired character and you would have various weapons. You would go into dungeons and you would click on things to kill them. And really, when you get down to the gameplay, it was pretty simple. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of clicking. But it was addictive because the, the, for lots of reasons, the game design was fantastic. The art was great. The leveling system was cool. The loot system was very satisfying as a gamer. So everything in this game, considering how simple it was, was done correctly just to the point where people just fell in love with it. And it launched with the Battle.net service, which was a free online service where people could go and make matches to play online together. Um, and it made money through online advertising, through web advertising. Actually made quite a bit of money because it was incredibly popular. Uh, now, around 1997, a couple different things are happening. For one, Blizzard start, starts to uh, develop a game that would be you – know, actually, they were supposed to release the game in 97 called Warcraft Adventures. Mm-hmm. Now, this was going to be a game that was going to be an adventure-based game. So adventure games, when we talk about that, that, that those are games like the Monkey Island series um, or the old King's Quest series or oh. Space Quest. These are games where you solve puzzles, you wander around, you interact with other characters. Um, generally, you have to collect a lot of items and then combine stuff in your inventory in order to uh, to achieve certain tasks, to complete certain tasks. Um and it, it it was fairly popular for a while. So Blizzard thought, well, why don't we create a Warcraft adventure kind of in the model of the old Monkey Island games and flesh out this mythology we've created about the orcs. And this will give you more of a backstory about what the orcs are and why they are the way they are. Um, and they started developing it. But here's the thing about Blizzard. They take game development very seriously. Mm-hmm. And if a game is not ready for release, they will not release it. So they don't release games prematurely. They don't want to have, they don't want to introduce a buggy bad game into the, the market because it'll, it's a black eye for the company. Yeah. They have a, uh, they're, they're famous actually for their release date when it's ready. Yeah. So they learned that lesson the hard way because they had announced that this game was going to launch in 1997 and it didn't. And as the, there were delays in the development process, the, the adventure model changed. For one thing, companies started to develop 3D adventure games. So, uh, one of the Monkey Island games, one of the later Monkey Island games was in a, uh, was rendered as a 3D style game so that the characters were, uh, no longer this kind of flat animated look. Mm-hmm. Uh, Grim Fandango is another example. So, 
at that point, the Warcraft Adventures was starting to look dated because it was doing the old 2D design. And because of that and other, other reasons, uh, Blizzard decided ultimately to kill the product and it, and it never, it would never reach store shelves. Um, won't be the last time they do that. No. And that same year in 97, that's when you had the scandal, uh, at Syndent, uh, the company that, the parent company that owned Blizzard. So here's the scandal. Apparently, the company had sort of fibbed about its income. Sort of fibbed. And inflated it by about a third because analysts had expected the company to do incredibly well. And so in order for it to look like the company had met those expectations, they cooked the books over at Sendent. Mm. And um, in the wake of the scandal, they ended up selling off Sierra Online, which included Blizzard Entertainment. And they sold it to a French company called Havas. Uh, and then that company then uh, was bought by another company called Vivendi. Ah, uh, the plumbers. Yeah. So another yet another company that's in video games now that yeah. was in something completely different a century ago. Yeah, we'll get back to we'll get back to their their adventure in a few years. So yeah, again, what was remarkable though is through all this corporate change where they're being acquired and merged and sold off and reacquired and all that kind of stuff. While all this is happening, Blizzard remained remarkably cohesive. Yeah. Uh the at this point the three founders are all still there. Um, and, uh, and they were still working on, on games. Now, that same year in 97, uh, they were developing a new real-time strategy game and they showed it off at the second ever E3 conference. Mm-hmm. And this was an isometric view science fiction real-time strategy game called StarCraft. Yes. Uh, isometric view meaning that it's, instead of it being a direct top-down view, you're viewing it at an angle. Kind of like, imagine you're hovering over the landscape and you're looking down and ahead of you, that's kind of what we're talking about here, mm-hmm. an isometric view. And um, uh, the StarCraft game featured three races. Yes. Uh, the Protoss, the Terran, and the Zerg. <laughs> Zerg Rush. And, and it's kind of interesting because unlike other games, in, in Warcraft, in Orcs versus Humans, you had Orc units and you had human units, but they were essentially analogs to each other. Yeah, you had the same essential buildings. You had... You had to mine gold. You had a barracks where you produced your your uh, warriors. Yeah. Um, you know they 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 used the same buildings, but they looked different and spoke yeah. differently. Yeah, different art style, but they behave very much the same way. Yeah. So, but not uh, the case with StarCraft. Yeah, StarCraft. Each race had its own unique units, its own unique uh, strategies. So, a strategy that would work for one race would not work for another one. You'd have to develop a totally different race depending upon – or a totally different strategy rather depending on what, upon what race you were playing. And uh, they also had some other cool features like the game would it would feature um, – your mission objectives might change in the course of a mission, mm-hmm. which meant that you had to be flexible. You couldn't, you couldn't commit all of your resources to doing a specific task because if that task changed halfway through, then you might be stuck. So it meant that – you had to be really quick on your feet when you were playing this. And in fact, there are professional gamers hmm. who specialize in StarCraft to this day. Yes. As a matter of fact, uh, South Korea has a huge StarCraft following. Yeah. There are StarCraft TV shows. Yeah. And we've talked about that a little bit when we talked about our professional gamer podcast. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. yeah, th- these the StarCraft, are... StarCraft, it was a huge... Actually, this, this game helped launch that movement. Yeah. They're like professional athletes in some countries. And they... And, and when you, if you ever watch a 
truly adept player. It is, you know, it's, it's incomprehensible to me. I mean, yeah. they're, they're, they're executing so many commands per second that I can't like, I'm thinking like, where's my little guy who says hello when I click on it? And the meanwhile, they've, they've wiped out half my units and I'm like, what happened? By the time they, you find him, he'll be the only guy left. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm lonely. Uh, yeah. Uh, so StarCraft became a worldwide phenomenon Huge. and it, and it was a big hit when it launched. It, it didn't, it wasn't like a slow burn. It, it took off pretty quickly, although it, its popularity was, uh, uh, grew exponentially once it went overseas. So in 99, Blizzard announced Warcraft 3. Now originally, Warcraft 3 was supposed to be a new type of game. It was supposed to be a role-playing strategy game, not a real-time strategy game. And the idea, again, because Blizzard was very much interested in the storytelling aspect of video games and conveying a kind of a, a, a tale to tell and that the the gamer is part of that story and helps generate that story. Mm-hmm. Um, they thought that this was going to be a really immersive game that would connect the player to the game in a way that had not been done in previous Warcraft games. So they announced it in 99. Unfortunately, really, by the time it came out, I mean, although Warcraft 3 is an amazing game, it was not the same sort of game that they had talked about back in 99 when it finally uh, debuted. Because again, you know, they found what worked, what didn't work, and they were not going to release a game that was just okay. They wanted it to be the best that it could be based on their resources and their knowledge. Yeah, now Warcraft 3, if you've played the first two Warcraft games, and Starcraft for that matter, um, Starcraft 1, uh, will, will seem so, somewhat familiar and somewhat unfamiliar because, um, and the, where you could actually play, uh, through a long, game where you had many, many scenarios, uh, you were also required um, in Warcraft 3 to take a turn with each of the races. Um, and again, uh, Warcraft 3 took the StarCraft model where each of the races has a little bit of a different ability. Yeah. Um, the things that work for Night Elves won't necessarily work for, you know, Undead. And they introduced the hero classes as well. So that, that mm-hmm. changed things a bit. Hero units, rather. Yeah, um, and, and there was a story that goes through the game. You start off with the, the human units, and you're working there uh, with a prince who's your hero leading your, your uh, units through battle. And, well, I won't have a story spoiler, but the story continues as you go through the other races. And I think it's more of a, at least in my opinion, it's more of a battle net type game yeah where you're um yeah you can play it uh just yourself but the the real value in that game is to play it online or with other people um because it was really designed to be a an expansive online uh real-time strategy game as opposed to something that you spend hours uh trying to solve yourself so between when they announced Warcraft 3 and when Warcraft 3 actually debuts, which is about three years, in that three-year period, they're not just trying to create Warcraft 3 and, and switching things around. Uh, they also, in 2000, released Diablo 2, mm-hmm. which was, again, very popular. Yeah, and, and they started releasing expansion packs for their games, and those expansion packs – were also very popular. And that's one of those things where, you know, Blizzard was one of the kind of pioneering companies to show that expansion packs could really help you extend the lifespan of a title and to really enhance the, the, uh, player experience for those titles. It was like a win-win for everybody. The players loved it because there was this game that they were truly emotionally invested in that they got to, to play more of and the, 
you know, of course, Blizzard liked it because it meant more revenue coming in, and they didn't it, without having to develop an entirely new game. You you develop an expansion pack that's built on the foundation of the game that it's expanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in uh, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to note that according to Blizzard, um, Diablo 2 set a record at that time for the fastest selling PC game ever. Um, and then in 2001, when Diablo 2 Lord of Destruction, the expansion pack, uh, was released, it sold more than a million copies in its first month. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. And, uh, 2001 was also when Blizzard went to the European Computer Trade Show and announced the development for a game that would take kind of dwarfed the success of all the other games combined, uh, ultimately, called World of Warcraft. And this actually shocked people that Blizzard was going to get into the massively multiplayer online role-playing game game, because at that point, really, there, were, there had only been two big MMORPGs in North America at that point. Uh, there was Ultima Online, which was kind of the first one. But by this time, Ultima Online's star was in serious decline. Yeah. And there was EverQuest. Yes, and which Ever- was a Sony property. Yeah, and EverQuest was still going on strong, and people were a little skeptical that Blizzard could create a game that could compete against EverQuest. Now, granted, this is 2001 when they announced it. It wouldn't be till 2004 when the game actually launches. So between 2001 and 2004, there's massive development being put behind World of Warcraft. Also, in 2002, there was another story about a failed attempt to bring another uh, Blizzard game to market. In this case, it was a console game. Yep, they were the re-emergence of the console uh, attempt, but uh, also uh, you can tell by this point that Blizzard gets the idea that their franchises, by expanding on their franchises, they can continue the success of these games and build the universe a little bit more each time with each iteration. Yeah. I believe you're talking about Starcraft Ghost? Yeah, Starcraft Ghost. This was supposed to be a first I was person. I looking forward to that. Yeah, it's supposed to be a first person shooter game, stealth game. So kind of like, uh, you know, games, other stealth games we can think of, like, um, uh, the, um, oh, the, <laughs> except, except it's skipped out of my head. Let me try this again. Okay. Well, Starcraft Ghost was, uh, Starcraft Ghost was a game based on a unit from the Starcraft series. The Ghost is a, a Terran unit that, uh, has the ability to use stealth technology to hide. Um, and I think the idea would be, uh, that you would be able to become one of these ghosts and sneak up on, on your enemies and become uh, essentially a sniper or a sapper and uh, get behind enemy lines and, and do that, which is, you know, spy games are, are always kind of fun because you have that element of I've got to be sneaky. I've got to, you know, hide out and and sneak up on the enemy. And uh, anyway, Splinter Cell, Splinter Cell. Yeah. Um, so anyway, <laughs> this is what I get for having four hours of sleep. Uh, kids, get your sleep. Um, yeah. So they first partnered with Nihilistic. Uh, Nihilistic was a company that had created a game called Vampire the Masquerade based off the role-playing game of the same name, uh, done by White Wolf Studios, if I'm not mistaken, located out of Stone Mountain, Georgia. I think so, yes. Yeah, nice guys over at White Wolf. I've, I've met several of them. So they had created this game for, uh, uh, called Vampire the Masquerade, and Nihilistic and Blizzard together were going to try and bring StarCraft Ghost to, to, to market. But there were delays in the development process, and eventually, because Nihilistic had other contract obligations, uh, the partnership had to dissolve. Yeah. So then Blizzard partnered with a different company called Swing and Ape. 
Yeah, they actually acquired Swing and Ape in on May sixteenth, two thousand five. Um, and that was the point, was that they were going to become the console team and continue working on StarCraft Ghost. Yeah, now, at the, the abandonment process was a long and painful one. First, Blizzard abandoned the plans to create a GameCube version of uh, StarCraft Ghost. Then they abandoned the PS2 and Xbox plans because at, the po- at that point, the next generation consoles were starting to come out. So... Now, if they were going to develop it, they were going to have to develop it for the next generation ones. And it kind of, those have kind of become vapor, that game has become vaporware, essentially. Yeah, it's, it hasn't been, uh, as far as I know, officially discontinued, but it's on an indefinite hiatus. Yeah. So 2004 is when World of Warcraft officially launches, and it launches late in 2004. But by January 2005, it had sold over 600,000 units. So... For an MMORPG to sell that, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty significant because you've got to remember a, a classic computer game. You plunk down your money, you've bought your game, you take it home and you play it until you're either tired of it or you complete it or maybe you never stop playing it. Maybe you just love it that much. But an MMORPG is a continuing investment. Yes. Because you buy the game and then you have to subscribe to the service to allow you to continue to play. So for it to make that many sales is pretty impressive. You know, that it's, it, they had, Blizzard had really made a name for itself and people trusted that name and a lot of people bought it. And, uh, then again, it used that sort of cartoonish style, not cartoonish so much that it, it was like, off-putting, but just a little bit of the cartoonish style that Blizzard had kind of developed over its years as a, a game developer that really, I think, appealed to a wide audience. I, I think that, uh, well, of course, Blizzard sort of has a signature style of art yeah. that they use. And I think that, uh, again, Blizzard has enough of a sense of humor that the the units can be have a cartoonish element and it kind of softens the gore of all the slaying that goes on in the game. Yeah. Uh, because it's, you know, a little, a little quirky and a little, uh, softer and, and friendlier looking. Now, after the development was over for World of Warcraft, but before it had actually debuted, one of the three founders, uh, Alan Adam, actually, the guy who was the, the linchpin for the, the original, uh, the glue. Yeah. The glue that held the original team together left Blizzard. Although he was still a consultant. Yeah, and and he's still, I mean, if you watch the video, like I said, that I was talking about on on Blizzard's site, uh, he's featured very heavily in it, and he has nothing but good things to say about the company. So it's not like there was any uh, bad feelings or anything. It may have just been that that was... It was time to go. It was time to go, time to do something else. Like that, he had set out to create a successful video game company. He had done that, and now it was time to move on to the next next thing. So um, the other two founders are still there at Blizzard. They still are working there. Um, and in 2005, <laughs> Blizzard threw the very first BlizzCon, which is a game festival, a, a gaming festival that, that focuses on Blizzard titles. And so they'll have things like they'll have tournaments and they have uh, – they'll, they'll allow people to play demos of – of various games that haven't come out yet, and they'll have costume contests. And a lot of the the people that a lot of my professional peers love to go to BlizzCon. I have never been. Uh, I, frankly, I've I've played several Blizzard titles, but I've never gotten into World of Warcraft, so I'm not I'm not as heavily uh, 
tied to the company as some of my friends are. Yeah. But folks like Tom Merritt and Veronica Belmont, Scott Johnson, like all these these other podcasters and uh, crazy people love to go there. So I love following Twitter during BlizzCon because it is hysterical <laughs> and awesome. I mean, you you to see that kind of excitement behind game titles is always fun, right? Mm-hmm. And so. Uh, 2005 was the very first BlizzCon, and they've just gotten larger and more elaborate every year. Uh, and then in 2007, uh, keep in mind, over all this time, Blizzard continues to release expansion packs. Yeah. There was one thing I wanted to mention, Oh, though, sure, sure. Uh, that in August of 2005, August 1st, in fact, uh, the Redwood City studio closed. Mm-hmm. Um, just about everybody got moved to the Irvine, California office, which is where Blizzard's based. Um, but they actually closed Blizzard North Studios, the, the actual building. And quite a few people left Blizzard North at that time too. Pe- people who, you know, left on their own to found other companies. Yep. Uh, but in 2007, Vivendi, if you remember, that was the company that had, uh, purchased Sierra Online and thus, uh, uh, Blizzard Entertainment. Merged its game division with Activision, which then creates a new branch called Activision Blizzard, mm-hmm. which is where we stand right now, although you never know by the time this podcast comes out. <laughs> True. And of course, Activision was was founded by former Atari people yeah. who had worked on uh, titles for the Atari 2600. Yeah. And so, so then, uh, uh, they're old hands in the gaming business, too. That's kind of bringing us up to date. Uh, StarCraft II came out in 2010. Again, massive, massive hit. Another big expansion pack called Cataclysm came out for World of Warcraft, which, which dramatically changed the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, it was supposed to be this, this essentially a, a world altering event within the game world so that places and, and activities that had been familiar now suddenly weren't. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, you know, it was, and it was designed to be that. It was really designed to shake things up so that people who had been playing the game forever would suddenly have new stuff to do. Uh, and it wouldn't just be like a new map that they could explore because they had reached, you know, the level cap and, and now they'd had nothing else to do. Um, and so that was a big deal when that came out. And, uh, and this year, the game Diablo 3 is in beta. It's one of those, those betas that people are really, I can think of two games off the top of my head that have had gamers scrabbling at the chance to be in the beta. One of them is Diablo 3. The other is The Old Republic. Mm-hmm. So those would be the two big games I would think of 2011 that people are trying to get into. And Diablo 3, of course, just has this huge history behind it. And uh, and people are eager to play a new Diablo game. I mean, it's been years since Diablo 2 came out. So um, that's something that's going on right now. And something that happened earlier uh, the week that we're recording this podcast that I thought was interesting is that Blizzard auctioned off some of the original server blades from its first server for World of Warcraft. Mm-hmm. Um, and they auctioned it off in a charity auction uh, that would benefit St. Jude Re- uh, Ch- Saint Jude Children's Research Hospital. So that was kind of cool that, you know, this this piece of video game, computer game history uh, went on sale in order to benefit a charity. Um, and also there's, uh, I should add that there is the rumor, it's not so much a rumor, it's just in development limbo, of a Warcraft movie. Oh, interesting. World of Warcraft movie. And, and Sam Raimi is, uh, is inked to direct this film should it ever actually get into true development. Uh, so Sam Raimi, of course, famous for the documentary Evil Dead. Ah. 
And, uh, of course, the, the BlizzCon announcements this year included uh, the Defense of the Ancients game called uh, Blizzard Dota, D-O-T-A being Defense of the Ancients, um, and also a couple expansion packs, StarCraft II Heart of the Swarm, and there's going to be new units in that, apparently, and uh, w- World of Warcraft Mists of Pandaria, yeah, which features a new monk unit and Mist- critters a- that are pandas. pandas. Apparently, it, it, uh, if I'm not mistaken, this actually started as a, a joke. Yeah. And uh, they decided to go all out with it and make an expansion. So, again, I, hope, I, hope I they, love that about Blizzard. I hope when they attack, they yell out, skadoosh! Oh, no, actually, the, the Pandaren race apparently debuted a long time before uh, Kung Fu Panda did. So. I maintain my statement. Okay. All right. <laughs> all right. But, but Blizzard is, has really set itself apart, not just for the quality of its games, but for its willingness to add a little humor and mix it up in there. Plus, uh, um, I've always found it kind of nice that they uh, they release a Mac version of the game, yeah. you know, long before OS X, back when Apple was considered a a, uh, a very and also ran an, a, an endangered species yeah. of computer. They were Blizzard was still releasing the Warcraft and Starcraft and Diablo games for. The older versions of the Mac OS. And I always, you know, it, it seems like they're not afraid to take chances with yeah. things and, and just to get a few, you know, to give other people an opportunity to, uh, to play the games. So yeah, they're one a, of my favorites. It's a pretty remarkable company as, as video game companies go. And I'm curious to see, you know, how things pan out in the future. And I'm sure that World of Warcraft will continue to be a juggernaut. Uh, and I'm really curious to see what their next totally new, uh, product will be. There's there's a a rumor about something called Titan, and yeah. I'm not certain whether or not that is a tie uh, into something else. A tie into something used. else, yes. But yeah, apparently, we'll it's completely new. So, so well, that's kind of where we are today, and we're going to wrap up this discussion about Blizzard. If you guys have any companies you would like us to to uh, highlight, or people within tech, or if you just always wondered how something works and you really wanted us to, to talk about it, let us know. You can email us. Our address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com or you can let us know on Facebook or Twitter. Our handle there is techstuffhsw and Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. Okay. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. It's brand new season two. 
I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilbur Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor. Gene was good. But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.